Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Alice Slagle. My cookbook is called I Dream of Dinner, so you don't have to. This is a total thrill for me to have you on the cookbook show. You have been such an inspiration for me. So I remember when you used to do this like sort of like cookbook mail Facebook <laughs> live thing when you worked at Food 52. I would say this was what, seven years ago? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I don't a even remember when. time ago. And you would open the cookbooks that had come in the mail. I think you called it cookbook mail. So you were unboxing before unboxing was a thing. <laughs> and I marveled at how you were so knowledgeable about each and every single cookbook. Lots of times you hadn't even pulled the cookbook out of the bubble wrap or envelope and you'd go into who the author was, the background <laughs> of the cookbook, the nuances, like recipes, fun facts. So my passion for cookbooks began when I did cookbook publicity in the early 90s. When did your passion for cookbooks begin? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm, I sometimes I, re, I don't really realize that people actually watch that Facebook Live, but it was funny because cookbook publicists would watch it just to see like if we got the book or not. So that was a funny twist for that whole series. Um, I got really into cookbooks as a kid. My mom had a ton of cookbooks. I feel like I read cookbooks instead of like novels. And then when I was in college, I interned at 10 Speed Press. And I think during that time, I realized just how difficult it is to make a book, just how much hard work goes into it from so many people. So when I'm looking at someone else's book, I really try and be thoughtful about it because I know how much went into it. But it was more than that. You knew that cookbook inside and out, oftentimes even before it got halfway out of the envelope. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like, you know, some people watch sports. Like I, I pay attention to cookbooks, you know, that's like, that's my jam. <laughs> I love this quote so much. Some count sheep. I dream up dinner. So when you go for walks or space out on the train, you're playing dinner Tetris in your head. Can you walk me through an example of dinner Tetris? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really um, chaotic and fluid process, so I'm not sure um, it will make much sense explaining it. So a recipe I'm working on right now, I wanted to make like an asparagus pasta, um, but I didn't want to do cooked asparagus because I feel like that's been done a lot. So I thought I could salt them and leave them raw. Um, and then I thought like, if you do raw things, you kind of need some cooked things so that it tastes, um, hearty and, and like filling. Um, so I thought like I could do some brown butter, maybe with some capers, but butter is so expensive right now and ingredients in general are so expensive. So I thought like, how else could I do like something nutty without butter? And then I thought about like a whole grain noodle or like a soba. And then I thought about, I didn't want to give up the capers. So I thought like, how could I cook the capers? And I had recently tested um, a recipe for Food 52 from Rebecca Fersker that used the oil from a sardine can. And I thought, well, I could like probably crisp the capers in the sardine oil and then there would be protein from the sardines. It's that over and over again, all day long. <laughs> See, this is why I really think you're the epitome of a recipe developer, just hearing that. It's kind of like a language, you know? It's like, this is just like how I think and what I think about. 
every single recipe you put your stamp on, like I could read through it and say, oh, that's Allie's recipe. Can you talk about the structure of the recipes? Sure. So um, all of the recipes use maximum 10 ingredients, usually closer to five to eight and no more than 45 minutes. And my goal was that the recipes really ask very little of you so that you are freed up to live your life. Or if you're only operating at 50% capacity, um, you can still make dinner. And I think the other goal of like having the recipes be very minimal and streamlined is that if you see an opportunity where like you can add your own spin to it, like you want to substitute something or embellish, like you're not exhausted by the recipe so that you can still kind of ad lib as you want. I also noticed that you list the items, but not the measurements and you include the measurements in the preparation steps. I'm curious how you came up with that format. Yeah, so the inspiration was um, from Nigel Slater's book, Eat, um, and I think he's done the same format in um, other books of his. But basically, the way I was thinking about it was the ingredient list kind of becomes the shopping list. So you can kind of scan the list and see if you have all of those items or if you need to go buy something. Um, And then once you start the recipe, you're kind of like in the recipe. So you can measure as you go and you don't have to look back and forth to the ingredient list. It's all kind of a seamless process. Okay. We need to talk about your Nona's biscotti recipe, (laughs) but I had no idea it was going to be the actual image (laughs) of the three hole punch lined paper with the notes and all the things marked in different pen colors. It is truly a work of art. Can you talk about this recipe? Well, first of all, she doesn't know I took this recipe and she doesn't know it's in the book. So she doesn't? No, she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Sometimes I'm like, is she going to be mad at me? But well, I don't know. It's too late. Um, so she is an amazing cook um, and she always tries to write down her recipes just for the future. Um, and this recipe is probably her most famous, but as you can tell, she is always like going back over the recipe and making changes and swapping things and making notes. And I thought it was a great visual just to kind of express this idea that like a recipe isn't permanent and that, you know, you can make your own changes to it. Um, I think what was important to me was like that if you really need to cling to a recipe and you're afraid to do your own thing, like the recipes in the book will be there for you and you can hold on really tight. But also, I don't think you should be beholden to like what I put down on paper it should really become your own. As you said, it really reminds us to cook outside the lines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think even she could follow this recipe anymore because it's just so marked up, Um, but she knows it by heart. It's crazy. I hope you have it framed. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I I do have it. I have it in like a little file thing, but yeah, I'm holding on to that for my whole life. So tell me about your idea of mush. Uh, um, so my friend Caroline, her family calls this kind of like family of dishes, little mothers. Um, but it's basically like things that console you, um, and are very soft. So things like congee or rose caldo, oatmeal, risotto, cream of wheat, things that are warm and comforting and kind of like a little mother. 
I should say the the book is organized by main ingredient and then sort of technique. So like how I turn that main ingredient into a dinner. And the point of that is just so that you can kind of see the blueprint of the recipes and see like why it, you know, turned a grain into dinner so that you can use that um, technique on your own. But they're not like technical techniques. So one of the sections is called make mush. You say if pastas competed in an obstacle course, olive oil sauce pastas would win. I love a good olive oil sauce. Can you talk a little bit about that? Olive oil already is kind of a sauce. Like it's already very flavorful. And unlike butter, it's good warm or at room temp. So it kind of can do so many things. Um, But when it's warm, it also carries flavor. So you can put like one thing in it and it can become a sauce. So this weekend we had friends stop by unplanned with their two-year-olds. And at like seven o'clock, I was like, okay, I'm I'm making dinner. Like you all aren't leaving and I'm happy you're not leaving, but I have to make dinner. Um, I just simmered some garlic in olive oil and used that to sauce pasta. And everyone was like, this is so good. Like, what did you do? And I was like, um, this is embarrassing, but it's really, it's, it's just olive oil can do so much for us. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> olive oil does all the heavy lifting. It really does. Yeah. So I very, very rarely say this on the cookbook show, but I want to make every single recipe out of this cookbook <laughs> and I've already made a few. <laughs> And I have a long list going for this week. So first, I started with turmeric, dill, rice, and chickpeas on page 193. So full disclosure, my oven is broken. I live here in the West Village in New York City. So who (laughs) knows when my landlord is going to either fix it or get me a new oven. So thank goodness for your (laughs) (laughs) So I'm only using the stovetop. So this was a glorious, fast, delicious recipe. Can you describe it? Sure. So this comes from the grains chapter in the simmer like pasta section. So this section is all about grains that you boil in a big pot of water like pasta. And the benefit of that is that all the grains are really separate. Um, They won't stick together. So they're really good for salads, but they also you can dry them really easily. So I wanted to show crisping grains using this boiled water technique. So I thought about tadik, and then I love the combination of turmeric and dill. It's fairly earthy, but also bright. So I was thinking about like kuku sabzi, which is where there's just like a ton of herbs with turmeric or other spices um, baked in eggs. So that was like the flavor direction, but it needed protein and For all the vegetarian recipes, I really did try and incorporate protein where it made sense. So the recipe has you boil a can of chickpeas with the rice. And the result of that is that the chickpeas get like really soft and tender, but they won't fall apart. Kind of like if you made them from scratch. So you boil rice with chickpeas, you drain it, you know, just kind of like shake it dry. And then as that's happening, you're sauteing some onion in olive oil with some spices. And then you just put the rice in chickpeas in the pan and as that happens the rice gets crisp on the bottom but the chickpeas also get crisp so it's kind of like this great texture situation um and then there's like a simple tahini sauce just for some creaminess for each bite I thought it was such a different technique to throw the chickpeas in with the rice to boil them together. I looked at it about three times. I was like, does she really mean this? Is this right? I do. Um, I learned it from 
Anada Rathi, who she wrote pretty often for Food 52. And she had mentioned that you can boil chickpea, like canned chickpeas for up to half an hour just to kind of get off any like tinny flavor and soften them. Um, and I just thought it was so smart. Yesterday, I made your shortcut chicken chili, aka mom's world famous recipe on page 286. And you and your mom spent a year and a half remaking this recipe to try to get all the measurements right for the cookbook. Talk a little bit about this recipe. Sure. So similar to my grandma, my mom is a prolific cook, um, but doesn't write anything down. So my version of this recipe from her is in an email and it's like brown onions, add cumin. And it's like, um, I I know what you mean, but it will be hard for someone else to replicate that. So I, on my own, used her kind of like back of the napkin recipe to come up with this recipe. And then she would make it and it wasn't, she was like, not quite right. And so we kept going back and forth, figuring out the measurements. It was really a fun process and I'm really happy where we ended up. I've eaten this chili more than probably anything in my life. My mom always has it in the freezer. She can make it in like, you know, 15 minutes. She actually like simmers it for about five minutes and I think I extended it in the recipe, but it's a shortcut chili because it's not real deal chili. You use um, a jar of salsa, there's ketchup, which adds some sweetness, and there's a can of beans, and then a lot of cilantro. It's a fast chili and kind of like more delicious than I feel like you might expect. Tonight, I'm going to put it over some nachos. Oh, that's a great idea. I really like it with scrambled eggs for breakfast. Oh, that's good too. Yeah, I have a lot left over. I think I'll do that tomorrow morning. It's a great idea. So one thing I've learned from you over the years is to be very generous with the cumin. <laughs> it's amazing that you say that because I am not aware of that in my own cooking. So you, I think you know my cooking more than I do. You're not aware of that? That's so funny. No. <laughs> I feel like any recipe of yours where there's black beans, it's like, uh, Mm. here comes the cumin. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I have to break that habit, maybe. (laughs) No, I love it. Um, It's so good. I think my mom does that too. Cumin just adds like this warm ground level. Like when you're making a soup, it can often feel kind of like change, like jingling around in your pocket and you have to kind of build um, a ground layer. And I think a lot of people make sofrito, which is like very time intensive and delicious. But to me, like cumin kind of does a similar thing. It builds kind of a cradle for all the ingredients to hang out together in. Another thing I noticed in this cookbook was you have subtitles for each and every recipe. So for example, coconut green curry cabbage and the little subtitle. I don't even know what it's called. I called it a subtitle. Yeah, that Uh, works. You wrote the singe of a roast plus the melt of a braise. And then with your whole grains, chorizo and dates recipe under it, you wrote a good for you grail salad that doesn't side eye sausage. And this is a good one. Cheesy bread pot pie, a red sauce spectacle. Now to come up with these subtitles seems like so much extra work. Can you talk (laughs) about including them in the cookbook? Well, the book doesn't have headnotes and 
I think headnotes are very important, but I was kind of laser focused on the goal of making dinner ASAP. So when like your kid is running around and everyone is hungry, do you really have the mental energy to read a headnote? And I would say you can still make a recipe oftentimes without reading a headnote. So for this book, it felt like a headnote wasn't necessarily essential to the recipes, but I did at the same time want to kind of illustrate what the general mood of the recipe was. So these subtitles kind of do that for each recipe. What are slouching vegetables? (laughs) So slouching vegetables are basically when you cook them for a very long time, all of their water comes out. And as a result, they are no longer stiff. Like they're no longer like filled with water. They are really sweet and kind of like their true, most concentrated flavor. So at the end of the cookbook, you thank the Fort Greene Community Fridge. I love that. Can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that? I cook a lot of food, um, more than I can eat. And I feel like I have like a constant anxiety about what to do with all the food just because I really don't want to waste it. And a lot of um, shelters and food banks, they won't take food from someone's house just because it's not food safety certified, which I totally understand. But during the pandemic, all of these community fridges kind of popped up around Brooklyn. And they're basically a fridge outside on the sidewalk with some like pantry shelves as well. And people can come and put food in the fridges. There are some restrictions about, you know, making sure things are labeled or some places will only take fresh produce, etc. And then anyone can come by and take the food. It made me feel so much better making sure that all the food was going somewhere. So while I was testing and also during the photo shoot, all of the food would go to the Fort Greene community fridge. And I really am so thankful for that resource. So it's been six months since you gave up your Brooklyn apartment, squeezed your life into a slow but mighty van and headed (laughs) west. I am obsessed with your old (laughs) Japanese van. Um, I'd love to hear about that and the journey you've been on with your boyfriend. We started in New York and we went to the West Coast and worked our way down the West Coast um, for six months. And there were a lot of reasons why we did this, but I needed a new environment just to kind of get inspired and get some new ideas. And I just wanted to see what cooking was like in other parts of the country. Like I'd never lived in a town with only one grocery store. So I just wanted to see what it was like, you know, how limiting that was and stuff like that. So it was a great adventure. And the van also has like a a little micro kitchen in the back. So we would cook really simple meals from the van and it was great. And I hope we get to go back out really soon. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. The first person who I thought of, which is funny because I probably could have dinner with her, is Sola L. Whaley. I, I mean, I often think of her as like a video personality, but she is such an incredible chef and recipe developer. I've been testing her new cookbook and I just have learned so much and I'm just kind of constantly in awe at how well she can write recipes and express ideas. And I'm just really moved by it. So it would be great to finally meet her. (laughs) I can't believe you've never met her. No, we met very briefly in the lobby of a building. I was like passing off something to her to give to someone else, but no, I've never really met her. Where can we find you on the web and social media? 
my website is my name aliesegel.com and on instagram it's it's really ITS Ali Slagle. To purchase I Dream of Dinner, head over to cookerybythebook.com. And thanks, Ali, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much, Susie. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.